The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy. But today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable, reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert. Welcome to the show today. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. And as many of my uh, listeners know, we often feature exhibits, new exhibits that have just opened, exhibit designers who are doing really interesting work. Uh, Many of those, the projects that we have featured in the past have been really, really big projects. And of course, uh, big projects with big budgets get a lot of attention and a lot of press. But the truth is, money doesn't necessarily make a better exhibition. So this week, I am talking with uh, Corey Rodehiver and Peter Salmon from Taylor Studios about storytelling on a budget and some of their experiences. So gentlemen, welcome to the show today. Thank you. Thank you very much, Carol. Honored to be here. Well, uh, Corey, Peter, you, uh, Pete, you know the drill. Um, I always ask my guests to share their career trajectory and those things that have been influential in terms of their your approach to your current work. So, Corey, I'm going to start with you today. Could you share that information? Sure. You know, the, the area of museum design was definitely not something that um, I saw myself doing as a kid um, by any means. And I've just kind of come into it, actually, in a roundabout way. So my background is actually in um, mass communications with an emphasis in TV and film. Um, and then I went on to study theater, and I actually had my MFA in scenic design. So I've been working as a, fr- a freelance scenic designer for uh, a long time now. Um, but in between there, I was started teaching college for a while. And I was teaching some scene design classes. And in between commuting from where we were currently living to another area, my wife kind of said, you need to find a different job um, and let's eliminate this commute. So um, I was turned on to Taylor Studios by a friend. And um, I had always loved going to museums and looking at the designs there. But, you know, it's not one of those things you think about, well, someone's got to design and build all this stuff. Um, but, of course, they do. And so um, I interviewed at Taylor Studios, and now I've been here for nine years. And um, my uh, theater training, I think, is actually 
that influential thing that's really helped me in my current work is really influenced, um, I think, the designs that we've done and how we've taken them and where we've gone with them. So um, I definitely credit my theater training for that. That is very, very interesting, and I uh, want to circle back around to that uh, uh, that point. I think uh, really exhibitions and good theater probably have a lot more in common than, than we are used to talking about, so it'll be interesting to get some of your insights as uh, on that topic as well. Pete, how about you? Um, well, uh, it's interesting that you use the word cur- uh, career trajectory. Um, because uh, I don't know that I really had a trajectory. Uh, when I looked up trajectory today, it was, uh, you know, a path followed by a projectile, assuming some level of verticality. Well, I, I was pretty much flatlining. I was doing multiple types of jobs, um, looking for that passion uh, that I could not quite find. And um, so it was... Um, it was it was more horizontal than vertical, and um, one day uh, I had met the owner of Taylor Studios, and uh, when she learned of my background, I have a couple of uh, degrees in English. Um, at that point in time, Taylor Studios was really a design-only firm, okay, and someone had said to the owner, hey, I have this exhibit label text. Is there any way that anyone at your company can kind of review it and look and see if uh, it would be good for the general visitor? Um, And right at about that time, I had met the owner, um, and so she asked me, would you take a look at it? Um, So I had no background in um, museum exhibits or museum exhibit design, um, but I looked at the text and thought, Wow, if I was a visitor, um, this is way over my head, um, because it was a scholar that was writing it. And um, so I said, let me look around and and let me give you a revision. Um, And so I gave gave the owner a revision, and um, we sent that off to the scholar. The scholar accepted it, and right at about that time, two other clients asked, hey, do you guys do text? And... uh, the owner said, well, I know somebody that can do text, and that was actually the beginning. Uh, it was just happenstance that uh, I came across Betty, and right at about the same time, uh, the fabrication-only company of Taylor Studios started to take on design bit by bit. Um, so that's how I got started. Um, and as far as the most influential event in terms of how I approach my current work, I taught sixth grade for a while, um, and I, I taught it in a uh, school that had many challenges, um, and I realized quite often uh, that the texts and the lessons that I were teaching were over the heads uh, of these uh, youngsters. And so what I started to do was create ways to involve them to understand some of these topics. And so I found myself using analogies and, and uh, visuals and all of these things. And I think that still informs uh, my content development today. That's, uh, that's very interesting, and it's always great to uh, have a fellow writer on the show. So welcome. Uh, 
I was one of those scholars that turned label writer. So okay, we can okay. we we can be taught. Yes. Uh, Pete, is it? Uh, I. I've often found it, I've found it very interesting when um, design houses have in-house uh, writers, researchers, interpretive planners. Uh, I, I, my experience has been that that is a relatively uh, unique uh, situation within a single uh, design fabrication studio. Have yeah. you met many, uh, you know, co Patriots or colleagues in uh, in in uh, well your competition, but the other design houses in in the country. Sure. Um, well, I think it's getting more popular. Um, at one point, um, it was one of our differentiations uh, between ourselves and other design build firms. Um, but what what has happened is uh, state projects and federal projects um, all of a sudden have started um, requiring certified interpretive planners. And um, now they don't require it in-house necessarily, uh, but they require one to be involved in the project. And so one of our differentiations was, hey, we, we have this person. He's on full time. He's here every day and he's helping out the design firms. Um, but I think over time, and if enough proposals come out requiring this, well, obviously, um, people are going to make the adjustment so that they have a better chance at winning the work. Um, so I do think it's becoming more common. I have met several others, but not many. Um, and we call ourselves interpretive planners, but I think the... the uh, um, another word is, is content developer. Um, and so I see more and more popping up. Um, but our philosophy on that from the beginning was um, that why would you ever contract out the content of an exhibit when it's actually the content that is going to take shape and become the exhibit. It's almost like taking the gem uh, of an exhibit and, and giving that control and power to somebody else when we consider the storyline one of the most significant aspects of any exhibit. And so we wanted to hold on to that. We wanted to hold that tight. I see. Um, so I guess that actually, and I'm just going to uh, follow up if you don't mind. Uh, so then how is your role as a content developer, interpretive planner, how, how does that uh, mesh in with the museum's own uh, curatorial content and educational staff? Yes. Um, well, we, we, even though I'm a content person, um, we say from day one um, that uh, the stakeholders here at the meeting, um, all of the people that we are working for, you guys, you people are the content experts, okay? We are the experts in translating the content into engaging exhibits. So there, there's where we kind of draw the line, and, and we know that, you know, we do not know um, uh, biology like the biologist or archaeology like the archaeologist. But the content developer does a little bit, more than that um, from the outside. What, what we do, since we don't know the content as well, is we 
we give we provide other aspects of content that maybe they don't have, um, and that is number one, an outside perspective. Uh, when we go into a museum or a nature center or something like uh, some type of informal learning environment, um, the people that work there are are passionate about what they do, and it's too close to them. Okay, so they want to include everything in there, and it's our outside perspective that allows, you know, we tell them, well, this is what has worked in the past, and this is what we're concerned about. Um, and as designers, we also understand that frequently uh, design less is more. And so that's a very difficult thing to kind of relate to these passionate people that want to include everything they know about a topic in there. Um, so those are two, two things. Um, and I also come in and say that the way we do exhibits, our exhibits are meant to provoke they're not meant to instruct. They can always go back and look it up in an encyclopedia. What we want to do is provoke the thought so that they leave and they're fascinated by the topic. They don't, we don't need to instruct them on these things. We need to provoke them. Um, and we have a very good understanding of attention, uh, visitor attention, and comprehension. It's limited. And uh, what we will do is show them those studies in order to say, hey, let's cut down a little bit on this because we want to provoke. And the greatest thing I think we do is we get everyone together in the same room. We facilitate everyone speaking so everybody at all the stakeholders there hear one another. And actually, uh, we write this down very well and detail it and, and give it back to the group so that every single person's involved and everybody understands what the other person is thinking about what the goals of this exhibit are. So those are some of the, some of the peripheral content developer um, um, jobs that I fulfill. That's great. Corey, I want to bring you in here uh, and sort of to uh, following up on what Pete's been talking about. Well, obviously, you you take another aspect of the design process. So can you take us inside the studio and tell us, you know, a little bit from your perspective how you work together and with that wider uh, museum team? Sure. Um, my current role at Taylor Studios is I'm the art director currently. Um, up until a couple of years ago, I also functioned as their senior exhibit designer. So um, I'm very involved in the um, design side. And um, my role right now is really that I am overseeing um, the designers that we have. So we've got exhibit designers, graphic designers. We have a detailed drafter. Um, and then we're working with people like Pete as our interpretive planners. And then we also have project managers for each um, project that we're working on. So my role is really to um, kind of help establish a design direction at the beginning of a project um, into our concept. And I make sure that all of us working together, we're submitting what the client needs at any given moment, um, you know, based on our process. And then I also do presentations with Pete to the clients. And then I'm also making sure that everything that we do is consistent with the approach that we decided on on the front end um, and that we're meeting the client's wishes and then help resolve any issues that might come up. But as far as the team goes, um, we are assigned teams when we get projects depending on our workload and what kind of projects we have going on. And I'm usually involved on 
most all of them. Um, again, that just depends on workload. Um, but we would have an exhibit designer, graphic designer, an interpretive planner, and me all working very closely from the very beginning stages when we developed this content outline, um, which is where Pete has a very important role at that front end. Um, and that's where we decide on what we're going to tell in this exhibit. What story are we telling? Um, and what are the storylines that we're going to have in here? Because our content outline becomes our backbone to everything that we do. It's like our blueprint from then on so that we can stay focused. And each designer on the project, as well as the client, they know exactly what we're trying to achieve, and we can stay focused as we move through that process. Um, so the early stages are very you know, conceptual. We're doing sketches based on the content that we've decided to work on. And then we move um, from there to refining that, and we start writing copy, and we get into our design development stage. And by the end of then, um, the client has a pretty good idea of exactly what this exhibit is going to look like. We've applied, you know, a three-dimensional form to this uh, content that we started with. And then after that, after several sign-offs, you know, we move into the production phase, and that's the phase that everybody looks forward to because you begin to see uh, everything that you've been working on basically come to life. And then we go install it, and hopefully everyone's happy, which they usually are. So that's, well, that's kind of a brief overview. That sounds great. Uh, and I know we are going to uh, hear a little bit more about your design process and talk about a, uh, at least one, if not more, examples. But before we get into that, we're going to take the first of our two breaks. And when we come back, more with Corey and Pete about uh, the process of design and working with clients and creating great projects on a budget that focus on the story. So please stay tuned. We'll be back in a moment. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. Carol Bossert established CB Services, LLC, because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content, and at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com. Reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn or call her directly at 240-432-7712. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel. 
every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossard for Museum Life. And today I am talking with uh, Corey uh, Rhoda Haver and Pete Salmon from Taylor Studios, a design and fabrication, or what we sometimes call a design build firm uh, in um, in our business. And we've been talking a little bit about the theory. Uh, as you remember, um, Pete has taken on the role of sort of the content developer, interpretive planner, and Corey is uh, a designer uh, who makes sure that uh, the entire team is working together and the design represents uh, what, the, uh, what the content and story and intent of the, uh, of the client uh, has envisioned. So let's maybe put some meat on this bone, on, on the bones of this story, gentlemen, and talk about a project that you did uh, at the Lincoln Museum. And uh, I'm going to let you sort of uh, talk between yourselves and just help us understand first the context of the project. Where is it? Uh, what are some of the other extenuating circumstances around it, sort of its competition? And so then how that uh, how that made you approach it? Sure, sure. Uh, so this project was for the Lincoln Heritage Museum, uh, located in Lincoln, Illinois. So there's a lot of Lincolns in that. Um, and it's actually, um, I think, about 32 miles from the Lincoln Museum in Springfield, Illinois, um, which is part of the Presidential Library there as well, which was done a few years ago. That's uh, been a huge project. It was done by another design build firm, BRC, um, and we're talking millions of dollars. And so uh, we are now coming in to this um, Lincoln uh, Heritage Museum, which is on the campus of Lincoln College, actually, and we are working with them to redesign their exhibits. And so we had a lot of um, interesting challenges right off the bat. Uh, you know, we're in Lincoln, our we're not in Lincoln. We are in Illinois, where everyone knows Lincoln. Everything's Lincoln. And so it's kind of like, how do we tell that story differently? Um, how do we do something that uh, no one else has done before um, to engage our audience? And um, with the museum in Springfield being so close, you know, how do we even compete with that? And so I think we had to look at it from the standpoint of not necessarily competing with that museum, but how do we supplement it? How do we um, do something that would um, really enhance that experience and maybe make them work cohesively together? Because uh, there's no way, you know, on our budget that we could do anything close to what they have there. But that doesn't mean that we can't tell a good story and we can't have an engaging visitor experience. Pete, did you want to have anything about that? Sure. And um, so what we did was uh, we, we had been to um, the Springfield uh, Museum several times, um, and we knew 
we knew our work was cut out for us. Um, and so when we started to brainstorm, we started to think to ourselves, let's think of every Lincoln Museum or Lincoln exhibit that you've ever been to uh, that generally tells the span of his life. Uh, and we said, how does that start? Well, that, that starts out with Lincoln's birth and how he eventually made his way into Illinois, etc. You know, we, we have him reading by the fire, and then there's a section about this, section about that. So it starts with his birth. It ends at Ford's Theater. And we were like, okay, well, what we're going to have to do is, since we don't have the, uh, the same capital, uh, uh, T-A-L, uh, capital as they had in Springfield, what we're going to have to do is, is use the great equalizer, and the great equalizer is story. What we're going to have to do is make a story that is more engaging, because that is not necessarily something that's directly related to price. And so we said, first thing we're going to have to do is turn this story on its head. What we're going to have to do is prepare something design something so that when visitors walk in, right off the bat, something completely unexpected happens, so that they have to reevaluate what they're doing here. They have to say, wow, I did not expect that whatsoever. And so that's how we approached uh, that's how we approach the story. Um, a little bit of shock value, um, a little bit of, whoa, okay, this is different. And uh, I'm kind of liking this. Um, and so that's how we went about, about doing this. And uh, we thought we did a, a pretty fair job with that. That's very interesting. And I'd like, if you don't mind, sort of to delve into that a little bit more with the two of you, because clearly you, uh, you must have thought a great deal about that. And that is, how do you move beyond, say, the persona? And uh, how do you get to the individual? And as you say, how do, how do you in, then in, provoke instead of instruct, and particularly with a story that we all think we know so well and is told so many times. So just if you could help us uh, just understand your thought process a little bit more. In other words, how does this, you know, the story is important, but how do you move, how can you keep it from getting in the way of a good exhibit? Uh, Lori, would you like to uh, answer that? So our concept that we developed for this was, as Pete had mentioned, turning the uh, story kind of on its head. So as soon as the um, guests come in, we take them immediately into Ford's Theater. So the first thing we do is we actually get Lincoln shot. So they are witnessing, basically, as guests kind of in the booth with Lincoln, and they see this all happen. Um, And as this happens through an AV production, um, they um, kind of are instructed by a narrator that um, they are going to now join Abraham Lincoln as he kind of goes on this life review. Now, when Lincoln was shot um, until the time when he passed away the next morning in Peterson's boarding house, there was about nine hours in there. And so when we came up with this idea, we thought, well, okay, well, potentially he could have experienced a life review, and what a better, what a great way to kind of you know, look at someone's life, because a life review is described as something where someone's seen their life flash be- 
before their eyes and you hear what people have thought about you. You go to different moments in time in your life. We thought, well, that's a super engaging and exciting way to possibly get this story across um, to the visitors. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we also have to then sell this idea to uh, the museum, right, and then um, all the scholars. And so this is a little out there um, as far as saying, hey, he's going to go on a, on a life review. So we had to be very clear that, you know, this is, he could have potentially had a life review. Um, we're not necessarily saying that he did, but we're using that as our vehicle uh, to relate the story to guests in a new and exciting way. So once they witness this and they're explaining what's happened um, to Lincoln, a door opens automatically and they go into this world that we've created, which is Lincoln's Life Review. Um, And so everything is in black and white. We have um, objects that are kind of mix-match scale. But then amongst all this, we do have certain things that are in color. And so we've encouraged uh, visitors to go up and touch the things that are in color. And when they touch the things that are in color, they basically unlock these memories or these events for Lincoln. And so there's always audio that's following them. They're hearing Lincoln's voice. Um, but then when they unlock these events, they're hearing stories from other people. So the second part of what we did that was very different than anywhere else we could find is we decided to tell the story um, through first-person narrative, through the entire thing, um, using documented um, narratives from people that Lincoln knew, uh, colleagues and friends, and even family. Um, You know, we were very excited about that idea when we first latched onto that, but I don't think we realized um, just how difficult that would be once we got into it. And and Pete can probably talk a little bit about that, uh, because this is where we ran into some things when we were trying to to write this experience. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were, uh, uh, so what we were using were documented sources of history. Now, that is one way to please a Lincoln scholar, um, so that we're not putting words in anybody's mouths. Uh, So we we were okay on that. Um, But to bring to a Lincoln scholar the fact, like, well, just suppose he had a life review. Well, we were very happy that the... the, uh, uh, the scholars uh, gave their gave their okay because that would have shut that down pretty quickly had they not. Um, and so, what what really brought design flexibility was by by essentially uh, starting at Ford's Theater, uh, allowing allowing the visitor to walk through. Um, a life review with Lincoln. Lincoln became an omniscient character. Lincoln heard things that he wouldn't, that he never heard in real life, because we're using the vehicle of the life review. So it really offered a lot of flexibility, but it also offered multiple points of view. If you look at any of the stories about, um, you know, did Lincoln really get along with his father? Did he, did he not get along with his father? Well, there's competing beliefs on that, and one scholar may believe this, one scholar may believe that. But what we were able to do is use documented sources that, that um, uh, showed both sides of that complicated relationship. And so you touch something that's colored, and you've got a quote about how, you know, his father didn't, you know, show enough love. And then you've got another one where the father's very proud of his son. And so it, it makes it one of those exhibits where you decide. 
you know, which one do you tend to believe more? And uh, if you don't come to a formal conclusion, have we provoked you enough to look into the relationship between Lincoln and his father? That's just one of them. Um, and so, uh, uh, and there are gaps in his life, of course, the beginning of his life. Uh, there's a lot of things there that, um, that people don't know. And so we, we found the best sources we could. Uh, we got those vetted by the scholars, and we were able to put those up. And once again, um, uh, we let the visitor know it, it, it's for you to decide. Um, and uh, so it, it, it really brought a, an interesting kind of uh, – the visitor's always thinking, walking through, and I, I, I think that was quite successful in its own right. You know, one of the things that occurs to me, I mean, you certainly used a, a linear spine, so to speak, and yeah. you stayed true. You know, you, you used a device to help move both the audience and the story along, but clearly you respected uh, the visitors who were coming to this, this experience uh, that they could and, in fact, wanted uh, to understand as perhaps some of the conflicts, perhaps some of the the uh, differences in memories. I mean, I don't know about your family, and of course, it's right before Thanksgiving now, and, and we just experienced all of those wonderful experiences around the Thanksgiving table when everyone remembers the family story a little bit differently, and that's something that we can all relate to. That, that's exactly right, and, and what we did is we, we laid them out um and um uh they were quite frequently um contradictory and and so uh someone had to think well i i, I don't know what how i feel about this one or uh, you know i believe this guy over that guy um so it it was another way of making it interactive if if you can call that uh, kind of a mental interactivity as you're as you're walking along and the other thing I think that we were trying to get uh, visitors to do is to um, think about their own life in this and what type of legacy they would leave. Uh, the, one of the missions of the um, museum is their little tagline is that uh, to learn from Lincoln and then live like Lincoln. And so what we tried to do through the exhibit then was to take the guests through different experiences that Lincoln had in his life and then to also take a look at how he handled those situations. Um, and each one of those kind of corresponded to different characteristics, um, which would be like empathy, honesty, leadership. Um, and so each little vignette that we had kind of informed one of those different characteristics. And when guests exit the experience, the last thing that they see, very similar to when they started, um, they enter a room and now they're at Peterson's boarding house and they literally lo- uh, watch Lincoln pass away. Um, in those very last few breaths that he takes. And then they leave there, and they're confronted with an exhibit that has these large characteristics just written across the wall. And so they're encouraged to think about their own life. And what type of legacy are you going to leave? You know, what are people going to say about you when you pass on? Look at these things that Lincoln did. Look at how he handled these situations. Um, how, how would you handle these same type of situations within your life? 
That uh, it sounds very, very interesting, and certainly a uh, uh, sounds as if it was a successful approach. I, I want to hear a little bit more about that, and perhaps how you and the client measured approach, or I'm sorry, measured uh, success in this in this project. But first, we're going to take our second break, and when we come back, more insights with Corey and Pete about storytelling exhibits and uh, involving visitors. So uh, we will be back in a moment. Remember that uh, I always love to hear from my get, my uh, listeners, and you can reach me at carol.bossard at verizon.net and also on Twitter at MuseWrite. Uh, I like to hear what you're thinking about the show and also if there's anything that I can ever do to uh, help you in, in uh, your mu- museum practice and working with communities and uh, in increasing the value that uh, the muse- your museum places within your community. So uh, feel free to reach out to me anytime. So we'll be back in a moment. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. Carol Bossert established CB Services LLC because she believes in the societal value of museums. Exhibitions are a primary way that museums deliver this value, providing places for exploration, renewal, and conversation. Good exhibitions begin with good content, and at CB Services, we are all about the content. CB Services helps organizations identify, shape, and document the ideas and stories that form the foundation of a successful exhibit. We provide tools that help our clients make good decisions throughout the exhibition development process and get the most out of collaborations with architects and exhibit designers. CB Services offers half-day and day-long workshops to get staff, boards, and communities ready for an exhibition project. Call today to schedule a workshop. CB Services also offers a one-hour free consultation to organizations no matter where they are in the exhibition development process. Visit carolbossertservices.com, reach out to Carol through Twitter or LinkedIn, or call her directly at 240-432-7712. Families today face unique challenges. Marriage, parenting, and family forms have changed a lot in the last century. Family Matters with Dr. Virginia Collin will focus on building and maintaining healthy family relationships. We will discuss marriage, divorce, family mediation, parenting, lifestyles, and mental health. All kinds of family matters. Our show will feature guest experts and your participation, too. You can listen to Family Matters live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert, and today I am talking uh, to two colleagues from Taylor Studios, a design fabrication uh, firm. 
And uh, I'm speaking with Corey Rodehaver and Pete Salmon. Uh, and before we went on break, uh, Pete and Corey were telling us a very interesting story about how they approached uh, the Lincoln Museum in Lincoln, Illinois, a little differently uh, than perhaps uh, some of our other Lincoln stories using uh, design um, effects and sort of a, a, a theatrical conceit. And I'm wondering, you know, a couple of weeks ago I had uh, Rebecca Hertz on the show and, and we were talking about the challenges of storytelling and, and how sometimes uh, in exhibits storytelling or perhaps you know the narrative can get in the way it becomes so uh, overpowering that it squeezes out uh, the audience and their own thoughts and I'm wondering gentlemen if uh, you would like to just sort of uh, take that question head on it would be great if if we could have Rebecca back on the show but for the time being what does you know what does that word and concept storytelling mean to the two of you um I guess I'll go Corey that's okay go ahead um each time someone brings us or, or, or each time we enter into a contract, um, I look at the story as um, story is is a wonderful way to keep a memory of someone or something alive, and and so there comes a responsibility with that, um, and so that's kind of one of the ways I define. Uh, story, and that's a little wishy-washy. I, I have a, a more concrete, uh, concrete definition. Um, I think story is uniting an idea with an emotion. Um, it's it's if if someone is going and just in an exhibit presenting information, you 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 have your intellectual side satisfied, um, but I don't think that's enough. And and so I like to see story as kind of this weaving of information into visitors' imagine. Uh, I'm sorry, visitors' emotions. And I I think once you hit on the emotions, um, that's what makes it memorable, provocative, and able to be recalled uh, later on down the road. Um, if I if I may go back to that. Uh, person you had before who was talking about the Lincoln Museum that you interviewed before, talking about the Lincoln Museum, um, the the emotions of a young African-American girl was uh, completely tapped into in the initial diorama of a slave, okay? They're, they're, that was the perfect way to unite an intellectual thing, there was something going on. There was, you know, um, it happened at a certain time, place, and it's it's a part of history. But it was the emotional look on the slave's face that struck this woman uh, or young 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 female. Um, and now she said that that impacted her, and she may not go back. Now I, I don't. I don't know about the results of that, but what I, I realized was that had struck such an emotional chord um, that emotion has to be pulled into any type of storytelling. 
So that's how I would kind of look at story. Interesting. Yeah, I think it's about taking that story and using the story to inspire um, these experiences that we're creating within an exhibit uh, to make those emotional connections with your guests. I think, you know, we oftentimes think about and talk about what do we want the guests to leave with in their hearts and and in their minds. And that's what we use to help drive our central theme of our exhibits. And so there's always something that we we think or we plan that we want these guests to leave um, and take away from an exhibit. But I think no matter how hard we try, um, guests are going to take away uh, what they take away because we all have our own experiences and we all all see the world through different perspectives. And so we're going to take our own personal experiences and relate them in a way that someone else isn't going to. So I think at least for me, you know, as long as someone takes away something from the exhibit, we've, we've touched on some emotions, and, you know, I would, I would say that that's successful. Um, it's getting them thinking about something. They've experienced some sort of emotion. Mm-hmm. You know, what I'm hearing you, you say, and if you don't mind, I just want to uh, dig a little bit more because I think that this uh, provides a lot of insight. Uh, you are both talking about... Uh, Exhibits being a place, as as, uh, Pete was saying, sort of interweaving ideas or information with emotion. We are human. Uh, We we learn better. We remember better if we tap into all parts of our brain. But I think the challenge becomes in our profession of using emotion uh, to be effective, to, as you say, provoke without becoming manipulative. And in my mind, that is the difference between a museum exhibit and a marketing visitor center. Both are have, use very similar skill sets in interpretation and design, but one has a very clear message, and they want to make sure that you leave with that very clear message, and the other wants to provoke an individual to think a little bit more broadly about a subject, as you say, take further action. So I guess the, the question is, how do you uh, move forward with the emotional ideas without becoming manipulative? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's great. Um, we, we do that with uh, involvement of... Um, of the scholars, uh, the stakeholders, um, some of what we, uh, some of the things that we've done in the past and some of our belief systems. And as uh, you know it when you see it, when we are passing the boundary and, and moving away from a nice design balance to some sort of propaganda. Um, and uh, as, as professionals, we are consistently told um, by our executive team uh, that we must voice our opinions when we feel that this line is being crossed um, because we have uh, we have a mission here and that is uh, to provoke and inspire people and if we were to do a company or something and it's just purely a propaganda piece that goes against our mission um, and uh, so it, it, it's a tough one, but it's pretty readily identified. I mean, it's not as um, difficult to identify, at least for me, when we're going down that road. And what, what happens is you start discounting other stories. 
And uh, when you're discounting stories for other stories, we listen to why the stakeholders are doing that. Um, and uh, depending on their responses is, would depend on how we reply to that. We're a little uncomfortable with this. We are getting away from that message. Um, we are getting away from that initial message that we said this museum exhibit was for. Um, so I, I think it's tricky um, at times, and I, I'm, I think we're fortunate that we really haven't run into that a whole lot in an entire exhibit. Uh, there's been aspects of an exhibit, um, but I think uh, design balance and, and, and good knowledge of all of the topics that concern whatever subject matter we're interpreting uh, gives us uh, the ability to come in and say, we're uncomfortable with this, and this is why. Corey? I think it's, and I think it's our job as the exhibit designers to ask questions uh, you know, from our clients to make sure that we have a clear understanding of what our goal is um, and what we're trying to portray um, to the guests. Uh, you know, guests are, they're very intelligent, and um, they are generally going to know when they're being manipulative or manipulated. Um, and so... And that's you don't want to do that because as soon as people realize that, they basically shut down. And so we are very clear with our clients that, you know, we understand that you want this message to go out. Um, you know, it, it, do you want them to know anything about this? If so, we need to keep them engaged the entire way without um, turning them off um, based on however we're telling the story. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, uh, this has been really helpful. Uh, but before we, we leave the program, and we, we have uh, really focused on one case study, and it has been extremely informative, but I know that Taylor Studios does much more than, uh, well, has done much more than one project and much more than, than uh, a history projects. So I was wondering if, you know, just to sort of give the breadth, if each one of you wanted to share one of your favorite exhibits, uh, Another uh, project that you've worked on? I will, because Corey hates this question. <laughs> uh, he, he, I'll uh, explain myself. Yeah. Well, I was a literature major, and I hate the question, what's your favorite novel? So I, I understand where he's coming from. Um, uh, one of my favorite projects was a project in Wisconsin, um, and it interpreted um, a, um, a wetland. And um, what the reason I love this one is much like Lincoln, what we were faced with was an oft-told story, often often told story, I should say. Um, and we were also able to say, okay, what do all of these exhibits have in common? Uh, well, it has a diorama here. It has birds hanging from the ceiling. It has this and that and the other. And so we also devised a way to turn it on its head uh, to make it fully engaging. Um, and so I, I'm very, very proud of uh, uh, that exhibit because anytime you can make uh, wetlands uh, sexy, um, you've succeeded. And uh, I thought we did that pretty well. So that was my favorite one. That's great. And Corey, I'll let you off the hook, and I won't ask you what your favorite project was, but uh, <laughs> at, 
but uh, but I'll, I don't know. Maybe this is a is a harder question. Uh, what you know, clients uh, oftentimes come to exhibit design firms and those of us who work as independent museum professionals, and this is going to be their one and only time to do the big project. Uh, and they're looking, you know, there are a lot of good services out there. They're going to look at you. They're going to look at other other uh, uh, design firms. What's the most important thing clients should look for when they're selecting a, a firm? Well, um, when I was thinking about this question a little bit, I was thinking about, well, um, some of our most successful projects and maybe what are some aspects of those that contributed to that. And so I would say that, you know, one of the most important things that um, someone needs to look for is, if, is it a cultural fit. Um, you know, this is a collaborative experience, um, and you're spending a lot of time together, and you kind of all need to mesh and see things similarly. Um, and I think the projects where that's worked, where we've had a good cultural fit with clients, um, it brings about a more relaxed atmosphere, um, really helps the creativity, and I would say that those are some of our most uh, successful projects. And the second thing I would say is look for someone that you can trust. If you can't trust somebody um, and allow them to take the, you know, the, take the creative liberties and you're always questioning everything that they're doing, you're not going to end up with a, a good end of product either. So look for someone that you trust and you feel like you can, um, you know, set the exhibit in their hands and know that they're going to do everything possible to make it the best exhibit for you and that they have good intentions for what you want. That's, uh, that, that's very good advice. Pete, do you want to add anything? Sure. Um, uh, to to add to that, um, I personally, after learning this, if I was to come across several million dollars and do an, a museum for uh, of myself, um, I would um, I would ask them for their design process uh, because I believe that someone that has thought about their design process, um, thought deeply about it. Uh, I understand it. It provides a form of transparency because I know when I'm getting things and when I'm not getting things. So I think transparency, I I, I know that the political culture today has kind of um, robbed that word, but um, I I believe that transparency is very important. And I think there are many, many, many good design-build firms out there. I would say pick up the telephone, call them, and ask them a simple question. What's your mission? Does the person on the other line answer politely? Does the person on the other line know what their company mission is? How do they treat you? Um, so these are some, some little tiny tricks that uh, I, I think uh, if the person answering the phone doesn't answer the phone politely, um, enthusiastically, and want to hear what you have to say, um, I think that's an indicator of other things. That's a great, great tip. And with that, we are going to close the show. Corey, Pete, thanks for being on the show today. This was a great discussion. Thank you My for having me. And, and we will be back next week with another edition of Museum Life. Thank you so much for listening. This is Carol Bossert. Stay tuned till next week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. 
Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 